Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to a third episode of Have You Seen? If you've have you heard it before, you know what you're in for. And if you're new to it, welcome. Mariella Frostrup and myself, Peter Finch, and we're here to talk about television, to recommend some television. And we've got three great programmes to talk about today and a, a brilliant guest who we'll introduce in a minute. But uh, Mariella, I don't know how your week's been. I personally find the evenings are drawing in. I like that. I don't really like watching television in daylight. So evenings drawing in means more time to watch some of the things we love. Now, I wonder if it's a guilt thing, that watching television in the daytime. It feels, it feels decadent, doesn't it? But I do quite like to do that at the weekend sometimes. You know, I like to snuggle under, pull the curtains over and pretend it's nighttime and then get stuck into some nice viewing on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, especially if I've got a hangover. But I do know um, exactly what you mean about winter nights basically been made uh, to lose yourself in I w- television. And I, and I also ought to admit, although I said I don't really like watching in daylight, I'll make an exception when the Rugby World Cup's on. This last weekend, uh, I binged Rugby World Cup from Saturday lunchtime till late on Sunday evening and wonderful it was too. Well, quite unusually, I actually watched a rugby match you this did. weekend. I Normally, you ever did. I can wow. assure you, wild horses, not since my misspent teens in Ireland following the rugby team at that, school. That's a very strange way of misspending your teens, but fair well, enough. It's yeah. not, if you knew what I got up to with the rugby team. Uh, but that's for another day. Um, what <laughs> I was going to Let's say... remember to come back to it. Well, I, I just particularly like the rugby captain and he quite liked me. That's, <laughs> that's all we need to say on the subject. He kept in very... Irish fashion. He lived in the semi-D attached to mine, okay. semi-detached house that is. Uh, both of our houses backed onto the school rugby pitches actually. The garden was very small, like a normal semi-detached house and he kept a horse in his in a stable, which obviously made him even more attractive. So there you go. That that was where my love of rugby began. And I watched on Saturday night because I am an Ireland supporter. You may not know that about me, Peter, but when it comes to sport, if I can, I support Ireland, having been so brought up So you had a there. heartbreaking... I had an absolutely heartbreaking night, not least because we'd bought tickets uh, for this weekend, well, Friday, basically, uh, when we thought we would be watching... Ireland in the semi-final playing Argentina. Which would have been quite an easy match. Which would have been an easy match. We would have definitely steamed through that and then it would have been straight on to the final and then hopefully the, the World Cup. But sadly, that was not to be. And so I am a woman battered by my rugby experience of this week. When I was, and I know I'm never allowed to mention this in this podcast, the director of television at ITV. Ka-ching! And ITV 
always, since the beginning of it, have always had the exclusive rights to the Rugby World Cup. And eight years ago, it was in it was in England. So uh, a lot of the matches were at Twickenham, so I could get tickets to like, take a box at Twickenham. And I remember one time England were paying Wales, and th- I think this is... This doesn't reflect very well on me. So I thought, who can I invite unusual for your in, in my into my box as a celebrity uh, who would be really interesting because I've always wanted to meet? So I invited Tom Jones. And he came along <laughs> to my box at Twickenham. And there's maybe about, you know, eight or ten people in the box. So we we're all, you know, mingling together and chatting. And England went ahead early in the second half. And Tom Jones tapped me on the shoulder and he said, I'm going now. Is that, how you, is that sound Welsh? Should, well, I, should yeah. I have not attempted that? And I said, uh, well, Tom, there's 20 minutes to go. He said, I'm not going to walk through all the England supporters when, I, when Wales have lost. I'm just not going to do it. I'm too well known. It's going to be embarrassing. So I said, I totally understand that. You're a very, very famous person. And he went and Wales then scored twice. And <gasps> Oh no! I bet he's still regretting. Yeah. And that he was—he was in the car park. He was in the car park by then, as the final, you know, conversion of a penalty went or whatever it was went over, and I, and, and Wales won. Oh but dear! It's not unusual, are. though, is it, for, for for it to be a game of two halves and things to change? Did you get the? It's I, not unusual. I, I, yes, yeah, I did. Well, I, good, I, good. I did. That's what you get when you have a pro on the program. <laughs> um, so, listen. Speaking of pros, we've got a pro on the programme this week, haven't we? So why don't we? Because we've got three really delectable bits of television. I'd be very surprised if we disagree about anything this week, which is quite unusual. Again, it's not unusual. Oh, here we go. But yeah, so shall we shall we bang on, Let's as they go say? For it. Let's go for it, yeah. <laughs> on today's episode, we're going to be talking about Seleni Henry's new ITV drama, Three Little Birds, the return of Lupin, or is it Lupin? We'll come to that on Netflix. Uh, and a special request from our guests this week. We're going to talk about the show that gave us surely the most original and heartwarming meet cute in recent TV history, the Australian rom-com sitcom Colin from Accounts. My goodness, meet cute, is that a genre? We are absolutely thrilled, actually beside ourselves, to say that our guest this week is Richard Curtis. Notting Hill, Four Weddings, Blackadder, Love Actually, Comic Relief, Yesterday, The Vicar of Dibley, About Time. Well, if I really committed to an exhaustive list of everything that Richard has done that you've loved, we'd have no time left to actually record this week's episode. So, suffice to say, Richard Curtis, we are delighted, honoured to have you with us. How are you? I'm so happy to be on this. I just love TV. And now that I'm old, it's it forms most of my life. It's a hobby I've decided to take up. <laughs> In my old age. You've become a demographic. Yeah. I am the demographic for the BBC, aren't I? 65 years old and mildly intelligent. Well, I mean, think of you, you look at the alternatives. Golf, you could take up golf, buy a motorbike. I don't know, that's a good idea, a bit of a midlife crisis. There's gardening, I like gardening. Dude, I've also taken up reading books, but I only do that so I enjoy the TV adaptations more when they come out. (laughs) I'd quite like to see you, Richard, wind in your hair, speeding down those Suffolk lanes on your motorbike with your leathers on. Is that not, not something I can anticipate in the future? No, I had one motorbike experience when I was 12. Me and Kim Carter went on his elder brother's bike and I went straight into a stream and <laughs> that was it. 
Okay, probably best not then. So listen, let's move very swiftly on to the first of our three programmes this week. Um, The final one being a bit of a surprise in a way because it's one that you've chosen for us. But let's start with a programme that I imagine is pretty close to your heart because it's Three Little Birds. It's your old playmate, Lenny Henry's new six-part drama on ITV. It tells the story of three young women who make the long journey from Jamaica to the UK in search of a new life. It's about the Windrush generation, of course. For them, it truly is a leap into the unknown. Just three weeks and we'll be in England. What if England don't like me? It's too far to swim back now. <laughs> My little sister, she and <laughs> Welcome to England. Set in 1957, Leah, Hosanna and Chantrell arrive in Britain full of the aforementioned hope, but they swiftly learn that life in the UK isn't all it's cracked up to be, not least because of the weather. They find themselves met by a seemingly insurmountable brick wall of racism, sexism and patriarchy wherever they turn but they refuse to be cowed. Three Little Birds is spirited, moving and heartfelt. And I don't mind saying, even in advance, that I loved it. Richard, what did you think? No, I really loved it. Len's been talking about it for such a long time. And, you know, therefore I view it with some sort of uh, prejudice. You know, I'm so aware over the years of how much Lenny loved his mum and how much he was intrigued by her uh, experiences when she got here. And I'm really looking forward to chatting to him about how much is, as it were, semi-autobiographical. I think one of them really is close to his mum and one of them is really close to his aunt. But I must say, I thought it was beautiful. And just as a bit of, you know, I've just watched the first episode and it was a cracking plot, wasn't it? It charged on. There were all sorts of incidents. It wasn't one of those sleepy, get to know the characters, but nothing much happens ones. I thought it was wonderful. I mean, I think what he did for me very brilliantly was evoke, you know, you read a lot of news stories about the Windrush generation and their experience coming here, and there's a lot of sort of news coverage of it. But I think that he manages to really evoke what it must have felt like. And I think that sort of starting with Jamaica and that rather bucolic scene that we understand there's plenty of hardship and some hard stories there as well. And then arriving in London, freezing cold, you know, horrible graffiti on bridges, seeing it all through the eyes of these three impressionable young women who are, as I said in the introduction, you know, full of this these dreams about what it's going to be like. And I think very, very quickly those dreams are shattered yeah, the obviously this is semi-autobiographical about Lenny's own family and experience, but also in the mix uh, as an executive producer, I think, is Russell T. Davis, and he's brilliant, of course. And I kind of also see a similarity with his own series, It's a Sin, where It's a Sin a couple of years ago, which won lots of awards and was rightly highly acclaimed, kind of told a generation of viewers who didn't remember it what happened in the 80s with AIDS. And I feel that this drama is doing the same thing. It manages, it seems to me, to both take you back and tell you things and shock you. And I suspect many people are seeing this story for the first time. I loved the actresses. I have to say, is that Lenny's mum then, Leah? Because I didn't know which one's meant to be Lenny's mum. I was hoping for your sake it wasn't Hosanna. I think that's right. I mean, I so agree with you, Peter. As you watched the first five minutes, you thought 
The name Windrush is so famous. Why have I not seen it before? That is peculiar. You know, it's always been Len's big argument that we don't tell varied enough stories and we particularly don't tell diverse stories in this country. And yet they've done it jolly well. I mean, the three actresses are so well distinguished, aren't they? The kind of religious one, but with a twinkle, the flirty one with so much optimism and then the kind of solid centre in the form of his mum who turns out, I mean, I'm not going to say his mum because I don't know how much of this, you know, is directly related to her story, but they're beautifully cast. They're great performances. And I mean, I'm very eager to hear what happens to all three. I think the worry when someone writes a story that's that close to them is that it might be a bit too maudlin or sentimental or perhaps the rose-tinted glasses scenario might come into play. But I don't feel that he's fallen victim to any of those things. You know, I feel like he's written a really robust drama with a really strong driving narrative, three brilliantly drawn characters. And it's not just them, you know, Aston, the the hapless um, brother, those horrible, I mean, cruel policemen. I was worried as well that it might be a bit instructive you know this is what yeah. you're meant to feel this is what you're meant to think and I don't feel actually that that, that he's fallen into any of those traps no I, I love I love the idea of the casting notes to the policeman <laughs> where they say he says so tell me a bit more about my character and the director says you're nasty and he says yeah but maybe there's a little bit more to it maybe there's an element of sympathy or backstory you know, and they say no you're nasty. That's it. <laughs> yeah, he definitely didn't have like a, a chance to bring up his, you know, traumatic childhood that might have made him the vicious bully that he's become. Yeah, nasty's all you got. By the way, it is a lovely idea. I'm just sort of thinking autobiographically to myself. Lovely idea writing about your parents' youth, because we all know sort of bits of it. But by the time we knew our parents, they were such different people. I mean, my dad His dad died when he was 14. He and his brother left Czechoslovakia on their own and caught a boat to Naples and had to settle in Australia on their own, not speaking the language. And I suddenly think how interesting it is because you know the soul of the person, but it's a completely different person with a completely different history. But I think as well, I mean, I would love to know, but, you know, heaven forfend, I should end up putting money into the swear jar myself. Um, You talk about the fact that those programmes haven't been made. You, of course, Peter, as you remind us on a weekly basis, have been the head of two major television stations uh, here in the UK. Did those scripts just never come to you or was there a presumption that there wouldn't be an audience for them? Oh, you raise such an interesting question there because you could argue that programmes offered to you uh, kind of, in a way, reflect what people think you're looking for. So I, I very quickly learned this swear jar or not, when I first became a controller of channels. So I'll give you a really good example. You come in and there's a pile of scripts. There's a pile of dramas and there's a pile of comedies. The drama pile is huge. The comedy pile is really quite small because there aren't so many people who can even try to write a comedy, but lots of people will write dramas. And then among the dramas... 80% will be crime dramas because they think that's what broadcasters are looking for. There's like you could say uh, a kind of vicious circle there of the perception is that's what broadcasters are looking for. Broadcasters do look for them because they think they'll get audiences. And so people don't try to challenge 
and say, here's something that's a completely different story to tell. Now, of course, if you're Lenny Henry and you've also, by the way, there are two other writers, Carol Russell and Avril Russell, then he doesn't write at all himself. And then he's also kind of formed Common Cause with Russell T. Davis as an executive producer. Then you are bluntly more likely to be able to get this sort of very unusual drama commissioned. But it's but not I, I that think... unusual. And, 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 and frankly, he's been trying to get it off the ground for a really long time, as Richard was pointing out. He's been talking about this for a long time. And it's, you know, it's a, if you look at the drama itself, two sisters and their friend come to a, a place where they have high expectations and have those hopes dashed and their lives changed irrevocably, etc., etc. I mean, that sounds to me like an absolute corking drama wherever you're sitting. Peter would have preferred it if it had been about an 18th century posh girl going, moving to Gloucestershire. <laughs> you, you hear me so well, Richard. Um, I think on that note, we should call a halt to our discussion of Three Little Birds because we've got two other rather great pieces of television to look at this week, haven't we, Peter? Well, we have indeed. and I'd like to think I'd have commissioned all of them uh, had I ever had the chance. The new series of Three Little Birds starts on Sunday, the 22nd of October on ITV, and all six episodes will be available to stream on ITVX. The long-awaited third series of Lupin, or is it Lupin? I don't know. I assume it's Lupin. I think if you're posh, it's Lupin, because you studied French, exactly. And if you're not, it's Lupin. We'll go with Lupin then, because we're all very French. It's back on Netflix, and uh, this is the third series. Lupin, when it launched, was unbelievably successful. I think it got 76 million viewers in its first month, the most successful non-English language drama series Netflix had launched to then. It's back again, and it's about Omar C's Gentleman Thief, Asan Diop. Well, we think it's C. Like no. Lupin, Lupin. We've actually researched this. and really? we've, we've seen We've seen the actor on an American chat show, and he's introduced as Omar C. Oh, my goodness. Right. Well, thank, 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 thank heavens Peter's okay. around to so, do that research for us, Omar Richard. C., Stroke Sai, who stars in Lupin Stroke Lupin and plays the gentleman thief Asan Diop. Any arguments over the pronunciation? No, I'm good with Asan Diop. Okay, so (laughs) Asan has been hiding, living in hiding in Marseille, but would you believe circumstances transpire to bring him back to Paris? He decides, and where have we ever heard this before? It's time for one last job. He's going to steal an exorbitantly expensive black pearl, uh, but in a moment of courtesy worthy of Lupin himself, he's also going to warn the owner of the expensive jewellers of the exact date and time when he's going to steal it and the police so they all know about his plans. Se faire cambrioler est une expérience désagréable. Et ce, afin de vous éviter les alertes d'une surprise, j'ai pris la décision de vous prévenir à l'avance que je m'apprête à dérober votre perle noire. So for those of you who, like me, haven't st- still haven't quite got round to your French Duolingo homework today, we heard Hassan reading aloud from his letter to the jewellers, Being robbed is an unpleasant experience. I want to spare you the shock and give you advance warning that I plan to steal your black pearl. So, is it a spoiler to say he succeeds in yes, stealing? Yes, a spoiler. Oh, oh God! <laughs> no, come on. You know, the but thing it's a, is, it's a, it's, a, it's a crime caper, and you've just revealed. I know, does. I know. But what it is, what it is, it's one of those things where he does ever more outlandishly audacious thing, and sort of always gets away. Uh, can I just say, um, I think the Lupin Lupin thing is relevant because when I switched it on. My TV, by default, went to the dubbed version. And can I just say to anyone who's going to watch it, (laughs) 
watch out because it's so much better in French with subtitles and it's slightly ghastly if you've got American voices over the French things. Isn't so, it ever thus with dubbed programs? I don't think I have ever watched a dubbed program or indeed film that I particularly enjoyed. It always feels bad quality. I completely agree. And I'm much, I mean, one of the pleasures of Lupin is the French atmosphere, the French language. The, you know, we're in Paris. It looks gorgeous. It's cool. It's stylish. And quite rightly, they all speak French. But if you stop and think too hard, it's quite improbable. Does that matter, Richard? Do no, you? I, I, I think, I don't think it does. I, I mean, I think it's really a absolutely charming thing. It has got a Sherlock Holmes element to it. Uh, and it they really cram the plot. Again, that's one of the things I'm loving about it, that there's so much happens per episode. Um, and the balance is so good. It's in fact written by an Englishman, isn't it? By George Kay. I think he's George he Kay. Who we, be... We've discussed on this very podcast before because he's so prolific. Because he did Hijack recently. He's just done The Long Shadow on ITV. Uh, he did Litvinenko, the drama about Litvinenko. Uh, he did Criminal on Netflix. And he was once a runner working for me at Talkback. So it's, I'm depressed about George Kay because he okay. is, his, his career has gone like a sort of meteor while mine sort of dribbled along at roughly the same level. But nevertheless, no, he's making a lot of drama and all of it's good. Yeah. And by the way, you know, when you try and say what it's like, and I do think it's like a, you know, absolutely cracking old Hollywood sort of Ocean's Eleven type thing as well. But the other thing it reminds me of recently is, in fact, Call My Agent, the French show, because, you know, again, in that one, everyone was so well cast. His wife in this is is an actress I remember in some uh, Ludovine Saunier, who was in the swimming pool, I think that oh, maybe yes. Charlotte Rampling, and and it's you know the fact that you actually feel the wife isn't some cliche that she's fed up with him. Her life's quite hard. It it's got a kind of emotional integrity and a quirkiness in the casting of the other characters, which means that it has this stylish French realism to it, while it in itself is so splendiferously unrealistic. I totally agree with you, uh, Richard, in that I think the thing that made it so watchable for me was that it does lace the crime caper element of it, which is great, you know, the sort of Ocean's Eleven bit, with just all of these other characters, all of whom you want to know a bit more about. And I think, you know, although it's very hard to take your eyes off Assam because he's incredibly compelling at the sort of forefront of the story, all of these other characters are all intriguing in their own way. So we've been talking about Three Little Birds and now we're talking about Lupin. And Three Little Birds undoubtedly is a drama that is, as we said, not over-instructional. It doesn't try to be educational. But nevertheless, it's telling us social history. It's telling us about serious issues and we admire it for it. And it's done really well. And then here you have Lupin, which bluntly is doing none of those things. If we had to choose, would we rather have dramas of the former sort that have got something to say and are telling us some social history and so on? In other words, where you might say you're eating your greens a little bit, or would we rather have the unashamed salted popcorn of Lupin? Um, Peter, the answer is both, because I've got 18 hours a day to watch TV. <laughs> so there's all the time in the world. And actually, I think you might have forgotten that 
the kind of backstory to Lupin is in fact about social justice. His dad is accused of committing a crime who's a sort of expendable employee at the very beginning of it. And actually the flashbacks, which are so beautifully cast, have a lot about him trying to fit in as, you know, a diverse character in a in a sort of snobby aristocratic France. So I like a balanced yeah, diet. Yeah. That's my favorite thing. And I, I think I to, this week we are actually in the incredibly lucky position of being able to offer an extremely balanced diet with our selection a, of a programs. And, meal. and so now we really ought to move on from Lupin. Thumbs up from me, Richard. Oh, yeah, uh, deux thumbs up. Oh, well, très France. Uh, I don't know what the French word for three is, so I can't Trois. complete that. Oh, I didn't <laughs> know that. <laughs> I'm not as educated as you, Mario. <laughs> I've worked in telly all my life. All episodes of season three of Lupin are available now on Netflix. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm actually quite excited now because, um, well, I'm always just a little bit excited, but now I'm extremely excited because this this next programme is a bit of a gift, a gorgeous Australian sitcom that really is, I think we said that part of the reason for this program was that we would unearth hidden gems and and so far we've talked a lot about sort of big more mainstream tv appointments as it were but this isn't really that it's called Colin from Accounts it's written and stars real life husband and wife team Harriet Dyer and Patrick Brammel and the premise I suppose bears some brief explanation Um, medical student Ashley is on her way to work when micro brewer Gordon uh, stops his car to let her cross the road and in a momentary madness uh, described in my script as flirtation uh, she pulls the side of her top down flashes her nipple at Gordon and goes on her way seconds later she hears the sound of a still distracted Gordon running over an unaccompanied dog and before you know it they're on the hook for a 12,000 Australian dollar a vet's bill and 29 year old Ashley yeah I know it's a bit of a leap has moved into 40 somethings Gordon's place to take care of the dog who they decide to name as Colin from accounts will they be friends 
possibly something more. Will the age gap get in the way? It's a meet-cute that is truly one of a kind. And I'm just saying... You're just saying that we cannot be mates. Well... That's insane. Well, I'm not... I don't mean to be all when Harry met Sally about Who are they? Are they friends of yours? No. When Harry met Sally? Women, men can't be friends? I'll have what she's having. What are we having? How old? It doesn't matter. (laughs) I love the way you say 12,000 Australian dollars with, I may say so, a slight sense that they don't quite count as real dollars. No. Because Uh, let's be honest, we don't know the exchange rate, so that might be £12.50 for all we know. Well, exactly. My point is that it's not as much as you might think it is if you're the British audience listening to our podcast, because that would set the premise that they were maybe richer than we'd like to think. The pound, I don't follow these things very closely, but for all I know, the pound's done so bad... Australia. Can't, Richard, I can't believe we're arguing about the currency you, you, in Colin from McCants. Richard, you was, come from that part of the world. Is the Australian dollar a really fine currency that we should be talking about with respect or vaguely implying that it's a bit like kind of rubles in the old days? I'm not implying it's very, that. It's a very, very fine currency. They're very pretty banknotes and they're like two to a pound. There you oh, okay. go, you see? Yeah. So to my point, that's about £6,000. And I've Thank had you. bigger vet bills than that in West London, as we said. Yes, well, you, yeah, you would have. I once took a hamster to the same vet as you used and it cost me £450. <laughs> the hamster cost me fiver. <laughs> Horrific. They, again, even, they used I, to call uh, me at 3am to give me updates on Snowy's uh, progress. Again, another podcast, <laughs> one we might think about doing. Uh, but uh, I thought you were going to be doing the rest is money after your, you know, <laughs> Emphaticness on the currency. Can we now please talk about, talk about Colin, from, Colin from McCann? It's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. Go, yes. Richard. No, look, it's a masterpiece. I think, you know, one of the bees in my bonnet, people are always talking about a golden age of comedy. But the truth of the matter is, you know, when you're most of the time, there are two or three and always have been great comedy shows around. And over the last few years, I was obsessed by Jack Rook's Big Boys. Shit's Creek, and this suddenly out of nowhere, an Australian couple you've never heard of, produce an amazing, really sort of intimate, uh, funny, genuinely witty, but quite emotional. I mean, this is the closest to a rom-com sitcom that I've ever seen. And really, it's so clever and so personal. And, you know, the couple who are the stars have both written it and are married to each other. So it has a real unique texture that's definitely not been written by a writer's room. I completely agree. Funny enough, this is going to seem like a very strange comparison, but I'm talking about this is really about the BBC because we saw this on BBC Two. It reminded me when it emerged of the beginnings of Scandi Noir, the first series of Scandi Noir, The Killing, and the reason I say that is not because the two shows resemble each other, they don't at all. But in both cases, the BBC picked up a show from, uh, I, I believe they paid a ludicrously small amount of money for the original Killing, like £4,000 an hour. And so it was almost a free offer to them. Just put it in the schedule and let it spread by word of mouth. And word of mouth is ultimately the best form of marketing and the best way to hear it. So there's nothing more satisfying than a show that hasn't been hyped, hasn't had the huge kind of, you know, trailer poster campaign. But a friend says to you, have you seen that? And then a second friend says it. And then when the third friend says, you must see Colin from Accounts, you watch it. And it's every bit as joyous. And and I so I think we all felt, because it's a few months ago, we discovered it. 
almost yeah. privately for ourselves. And that, to me, is a particular pleasure with television that you don't always get. Richard, why is it so good? Like, what are the um, ingredients? Well, actually, I was just thinking, um, after Peter just had his little boast about how many friends he has, yeah. Um, uh, I was <laughs> That's just... what the swear jar's for, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking that the thing it reminds me of most is perhaps Gavin and Stacey, you know. It's so clearly written by people who know the media and the world that they're writing about. You know, they're actually, and I think the best romantic comedies often are things that are set kind of in people's hometowns and in areas that they know about. It has that perfect sitcom thing of telling a story that grows and grows. They get closer and closer. They have a fight. They separate and all of that. But the individual episodes, be it about, you know, the death of a beloved grandmother or the opening of a bar, they're also perfectly constructed. So it doesn't have that thing of you can have a few jokes along the way, but we're really trying to tell you a story. It's a proper sitcom which actually really tells the story of a relationship. Do you think that that authenticity um, is the reason that your uh, rom-coms were so incredibly uh, successful because they're all based on your romantic aspirations, that they were, they were genuine stories? Do you think that that actually is the key, that if you try and make up a rom-com, then actually you start to struggle? I mean, I think they are hard to fake, and I wouldn't refer to mine, but, you know, when I started, I just loved Gregory's Girl, Diner, um, Rita Sue and Bob Two, these films that are clearly really were semi-autobiographical. Um, and I think, you know, who knows whether this is the tale. I think it's unlikely it's the real tale of how these two people met. But by the way, particularly the woman in it, Mm. is a real find. She's got that lovely thing of being kind of, you know, really attractive, but you can see why she doesn't think that she is. And then it has that thing which is so great in, you know, and I've exploited in my work is just planting some big, funny characters in the middle of it. But I, I wanted to, Richard, I wanted to ask you, you know, as a writer of rom-coms, when you watch a rom-com, I think from what you've said, you can get fully immersed in it. Do you find yourself thinking, oh, I see what they're doing there. Yeah, we all do. So I'll give you an example here. Uh, and this is no great spoiler because this show's been around for a while. So the dog gets run over after she flashes her nipple at Gordon. But the dog doesn't die and they take to the vet. We get this big vet's bill, 12000 Australian dollars, which is a very large amount of money, very good currency. Uh, and then the dog is injured and they have to put the dog into this contraption because he can't use his rear legs. So he goes around wheeling himself around. And he's also got a sort of strange plastic collar around his neck. Do you, as a writer of rom-coms, think, oh, you bastards here, you've made that already cute dog eight times as cute and useful for comedy purposes by, as it were, putting it in a wheelchair? Do you find yourself thinking that or do you just think, no, I love it, it's so brilliantly done? No, no, no. I'm a pretty guileless viewer. And I just think that one of the things I love about this is they do go for some pretty big punts. You know, they haven't they haven't got crushed by naturalism. You know, they're obviously thinking, what is the funniest thing that I can do at every point? So isn't the vet his ex-girlfriend or something like that? I mean, they've just they go for every possible joke. They've thought of a lovely line of their up and down relationship. 
and then just added lots of joke clusters into it. I love the scene where um, she has a bit of a sleepwalk and ends up <laughs> peeing in his bedside table, yes, which is completely mad. Like, where did yes. that, that has to be autobiographical because where on earth would that come from in a conversation about, oh, yes, let's write a romantic comedy uh, and let's kick off the fact that they end up living in the same place <laughs> with her destroying his bedside table with her sleepwalking incontinence. Richard, a question I want to ask you, because you, you've written, you know, definitively uh, classic rom-coms and they tend to be single movies. And the arc of the rom-com story, you could argue, perfectly fits the movie, that the obstacles in the way, things go wrong, then they get back together and they happily at the end. It's less you could argue, suited to the sitcom form. I guess what I'm getting at is, do you worry about a second series, Richard? Oh, it's, that's a really good question, because I do think that, and I'm not naming any names here, but I do think, let's take Shrek 2. Um, I do think the second version of a romantic film is a tricky thing, because what you do is you start with people who are together, and then you have to split them apart and then you have to put them back together again. But they've done it well once. I'm assuming that they'll find a way of doing it. And also things will develop in another way. I mean, I mentioned Gavin and Stacey and Schitt's Creek, both of which, you know, are romantic shows. But they, of course, had other subplots, didn't they? They had other romances stuck on the end. It could be a worry, but let's assume uh, they're is, geniuses. Is that why you've never uh, done a sequel? Very much so. I mean, my daughter talks a lot about the fact that none of the people in any of my films' marriages would have lasted longer than about three weeks. I did actually write, uh, recently I wrote a, I was going to do it for comic relief, but it wasn't, you know, good enough. I wrote Notting Hill 2, which was going to be a 10-minute special set in the divorce lawyer's office with... <laughs> Hugh and Julia splitting up and then they both realized they loved each other again. But yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a tricky, it's a tricky road to go down. But the thing about sitcom is that you can roam around and investigate things. There was quite a lot of romance in The Vicar of Dibley and it went sort of backwards and forwards a lot. And you've got a lot of stuff to distract you. Mm. Uh, I think in fact, it's, it's a beautiful, um, by the way, this is very random, but I was, in some discussion the other day. And I was saying that I think marriage, I'm not sure that the best drama about marriages aren't often sitcoms. Because the problem with... with like the good the, life. Well, the, yeah, the problem with dramas and uh, about marriages is it's always literally got to be about either divorce or murder. And yet the situation with most marriages <laughs> is they just go on... And on and on, uh, you know, be it Faulty Towers or The Good Life or One Foot in the Grave. And then actually the most realistic versions, assuming that most of us are busy planning the death of our spouse, of how marriage actually potters along, often I think happens in comedies. I was interviewing Ricky Gervais about The Office and the wonderful romance in The Office oh. between Dawn uh, played by Lucy Davis and Martin Freeman's character, whose name I can't remember the name of the character, and that it ends with an ambiguity 
where the camera lingers on, lingers on long enough for you to think, will this relationship work? And Ricky said he'd got that from, nicked it from, in a sense, the end of The Graduate, where yeah. exactly the same happens, and you are in the back of the coach. I know this may seem a rather recherche reference, but bear with me, with uh, obviously Dustin Hoffman and Catherine Ross, and all the drama of, of him turning up at her marriage saying, it's got to be me, this is the big romance. Then they get in the back of the coach, and the camera lingers long enough on them for you to think you've got nothing in common and your marriage will not work at all. You're just caught up in the rom-com. On that gloriously optimistic note, um, first of all, I actually thought that um, Colin from Accounts was a little bit like The Office. I know it's a a rom-com and and, and so on, and a sitcom, Uh, but I felt that that, exactly what you were saying earlier, Richard, that understanding of the place and the characters and the type of behaviour I felt was very much um, like The Office. So I'm glad you brought it up. Didn't you once write a, a script called Meet Cute about a, a guy whose name was Cute? John Cute. John Cute. Um, <laughs> meet John Cute. Uh, yeah, I had this idea. It was, it was, again, a thing for comic relief where I was going to write a sequence of like 10 minute films. This was like really at the start of the internet. And I talked to Hugh Grant about it. And every episode was going to be a meet cute where he met somebody. And then by the end of the episode, they were going to have split up. And then we were going to have another <laughs> meet cute. And, and Hugh, you know, who is a man, ate 90% charity. Uh, everything about him is is aiming to make the world a better place. Oh, you're so right. And eventually, after consideration, he said to me, he quoted me quite a large amount of money, even larger in Australian dollars, that he was going to give to Comic Relief not to do it. <laughs> so it never, it never happened. That was the end of that. But it does yeah. prove, um, seeing as you've got this predilection for 10-minute vignettes, shall we say, that actually the short form... Uh, can work very well with a romantic idea to be explored. In fact, maybe narrowing it down to 10 minutes is actually the perfect amount of time. Well, that was actually Love Actually in a weird way. Love Actually is just the, be it a good or, as my daughter would say, an atrocious, sexist, racist, fat, fattest film. It's in fact, you know, whatever it is, nine romantic comedies done in 10 minutes each. You were saying about none of the marriages of the characters in your rom-coms would have lasted. What I find myself thinking is, does that matter? I'll be completely satisfied with a rom-com if it gets to the point when the couple come together in the scene at the end, in the rain or wherever it is, and declare their yeah, love for each other. Yeah, it's normally the rain. Or snow. And if it's rain, it's quite a lot of rain. More rain than you'd normally get in real life. Only British rom-coms. It's movie rain. Does does it matter if you project further forward and think, do you know what, they'll be getting on each other's nerves within a year and and five years later they'll be in the divorce court? I hope not, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) I hope not. Well, the next time people watch my films, they'll go, wait a minute. And also, this seems to be Hugh Grant's third wife. I do well, love <laughs> I do love the idea of revisiting them all in a, a kind of realistic view of what their relationships would be like now. I think it would be absolutely hilarious. It would cost you a lot of money, obviously, um, despite Hugh's great humanitarian, egalitarian instincts. Um, so that probably won't happen. Richard, just a quick word on Colin from Accounts. In summary, 
Am I going to try and do an Australian impression here? Go cool. on. You are Australian virtually. Oh, look, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> that was really oh. bad. Oh, what my that goodness. <laughs> I don't think they say masterpiece. Oh, God. Don't make that the farewell. Don't make that my last thing. I think it's jolly good. Jolly good. Much jolly better. Good. I think we can Much- all agree on jolly good. Much better, much more you. Um, you can see uh, all episodes of the first series of Column from Accounts on the BBC iPlayer. It's going to be streaming on Paramount Plus in the US from November this year. Be very interested to see what the Americans make of it. Um, and I'm very happy to say that it's been renewed for a second series, which is expected uh, late in 2024, despite Peter's worries. Well, I'm a bit nervous um, about it. I just hate being disappointed with anything in life, and it's almost too good life to is, follow up. Life is full of disappointments. We have to learn to live with them. Richard has made a whole career out of detailing life's disappointments and then those little small triumphs and hopes that rise out of them. Oh, I sound great. You are great. Thank you so much for joining us today. So thank you, Richard. We're particularly keen to hear from you, our listeners, about what you've been watching, what you've hated, what you've loved, what we're missing or or getting wrong. So do send us an email. You can get in touch via our socials. You can WhatsApp us and all the information is in the description. We'd really love to hear from you, even if you just want to make fun of Peter. In fact, that would be very, very pleasurable for me. And I know you want to please me. So do write in and um, make fun of Peter. Uh, or tell quite us. lightly this week, Mariella. Am I starting to meet your standards of whatever it is that I'm not supposed to do? I think slowly but surely the training is paying off. <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, we'd love to hear from you, even if you just want to make fun of Peter. That's, of course, fine by me, and I'll be thrilled to read all of those messages out, every single last one of them. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Richard Curtis for being such a gorgeous guest. If you've enjoyed the show, please do follow Have You Seen wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, I'm thrilled to say we'll be joined by the fantastic Rachel Paris to hear what's been making it onto her watch list recently. Thank you for listening. See you next Thursday. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.